get over Ming's kingdom, we should land near the entrance of the abandoned drain tunnel. Our ship can be well concealed there. I remember the place. Hi, welcome to Loco Ludus. I'm Barney, and this week I had the great honour of running a game of Electric Bastion Land for the Grognard Files crew. So I'd like to talk about that today, but let that lead into a discussion about game design or scenario design, because it was the second time that I've run that particular scenario. And although some aspects stayed the same, there was there are a lot of revisions that took place. So I just want to talk about, about that process too. But first, I got a couple of very nice messages from Spencer of Keep Off the Borderlands, very much on theme. Ah, Loco Ludus, I remember the podcast. Hello, Barney. Um, first... I'd just like to say I couldn't agree more with your assessment of Electric Bastion Land and everything you highlighted, highlight, um, is exactly what I love about it, um, including the idea that the setting is not a comedy. Um, I see it as absurd, you know, with touches of the surreal but for me, that stuff is as much the the stuff of nightmares as it is comedy or humour. Um, I also fall into both those categories you mentioned. I was both intimidated by the world of RPGs and I'm not really a big reader and that's really what I wanted to talk about because I totally buy Chris's claim that he picks things up through osmosis because that's kind of how I work too um I struggle with reading myself and there is a certain amount of shame I feel attached to that um I struggle to concentrate I'm not a casual reader, uh, but I do love books. Um, I love the idea of books. I love words. And this kind of researcher in me allows me to get information from all over the place. So I feel I have kind of a broad but quite shallow knowledge of things. Um, I do love brevity, he says, leaving his third message. Uh, but that, the conciseness of Electric Bastion Land, that economy of well-chosen words, I myself strive to be pithy. And, um, uh, yeah, everything about Electric Bastion Land um really works for me so uh yeah i wonder if that sheds a bit of light on um your doubt about chris's uh claim to be 
not a reader and just receive information through osmosis. A brilliant series of thoughts, Spencer. Thank you ever so much. First thing about absurdity and the surreal. These are terms that get bandied around kind of uh, in a in a very in a very lightweight kind of way and and I think Spencer there really points to the fact that especially in connection with humor actually there's 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 something very deep there there's something very much embedded in reality um the surrealist project too was was aiming at something incredibly profound um which didn't necessarily always uh bear fruit if you like um and has kind of become this very uh, colloquial way of saying something is very strange. And the same with the absurd, that something is um, somehow weirdly comic, perhaps. But actually, again, with with, with uh, ideas of the absurd, they're very close to theories of existentialism. Again, very, very profound ideas uh, and particularly uh the absurd or the or absurdism and surrealism are very much uh products of the modern world of modernism so they are they are e- each in their own way and connected ways sometimes ways of uh trying to find a way to reflect on modern life um to move on to the question of of uh, of being a reader or not being a reader or finding reading difficult or finding role play games intimidating i think this is i think this is a really really important issue and there are so many games which which you know really are so inviting and there are other games that are very prohibitive and uh i think that the question is where where's the real role play game happening it's not really happening in the books the books facilitate uh the the games so and 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 perhaps more people than uh, we might think uh would would take to that gaming perhaps if the if i don't know the the books uh and the rules i should say and perhaps some of the law and the stereotypes were 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 out of the way and i think electric bastion land also helps in in that regard to to like many other games to to point to a to a different type of setting and game. Um, so really, this 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 has to do with the broader issue of inclusivity. So it's not just a case of being being open to all types of people and or their or their 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 ways of being shall we say which is often what we talk about with inclusivity we've also got kind of um people's 
relationship with public performance, if you like, it's small group performance, um, and in its broadest sense, literacy. Everyone is engaged in literacy all of the time in different ways and in different settings. And so, yeah, to, to, to think of role-play games as a place where people of all different l- l- literacies um, can can uh, can enjoy time together and have fun and so on is uh, I think a really really key thing and uh, yeah I, I I hope that Spencer and other people who might share that feeling have have an ever diminishing feeling of residual shame uh, in relation to their reading habits because everybody should everybody should feel supported and um, allowed to to have their interests in whatever they have their interests in, I think. I'd just like to remind everyone that Spencer and I co-host uh, the Bastion Social. And we've done two episodes so far and we're itching to get together for a third episode. And we've had a lot of fun doing that. You can you can find those two previous episodes uh, in in the Loco Ludus feed and in the Keep Off the Borderlands feed. We alternate them between our between our podcast feeds. So I've got episode two and Spencer's got episode one. And maybe I should say as well, I also do a similar thing uh, with uh, with Andy Goodman of Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks and that's called Appendicitis where we come up with our own uh, our own suggestions if you like for the infamous notion of an appendix N those further readings or further things that would inform our role playing so those those episodes are floating around the same. We've done two and would like to do another one. But anyway, but anyway, to come on to the main topic, running Electric Bastion Land and this time for the Grognard Files crew. And I use that, uh, that catch-all. I, I hope they don't mind that because... There was the Daily Dwarf, who uh, posts on Twitter about things related to White Dwarf, Old White Dwarf. There was Eddie, who pops up in the Grognard files from time to time, often in his shed, um, Ed's shed, uh, which are some of my favourite parts some little bits, inserts, whatever we call them, in the show. So um, I, I'm always really pleased when uh, 
when Ed pops up in the Grognard files. There was Blythe, um, who had run a game of Monster of the Week that I was in when there was the virtual grog meet uh, a few months back. Uh, so it was nice to return the favour for him. And, of course, there was Dirk the Dice, who I interviewed a while back in the podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that or listen to it again. So why why was this such a nice thing to do for them? The main thing is that all four of those guys have been if you like voices in my in my life for oof probably probably th- 3 years now i think something like that and uh that's been fantastic and i love that podcast so much it's great and i can't wait for new episodes to come out so to actually if you like sit down with them and play a game with them was just was just great really really nice now uh, and as well they hadn't played electric bastion land before so it was a great honor to introduce them to that system too uh one thing i wanted to say in terms of this issue of of the scenario design topic um and and that i've run this particular scenario twice the first thing i wanted to say what another thing that's nice about having played with the Grognard Files crew, was that they are super... They're long-tooths. They're role-play long-tooths. And that was a really interesting prospect for me too because they're, they're totally open to all kinds of games, absolutely. But they do seem to to appear to to lean towards the more complex crunchy systems um so so i was quite interested in how they would find the the electric bastion and system and then also how they would find the scenario and the reason i say that was that when I ran it the first time for my son and a good old friend of mine, it was the first time that my good old friend had seriously played a game. Now, I don't think he really remembers the fact that that we played games a long time ago, but that might well be because of just the chaos of our of our early games. Uh, so this was the first time in this phase that he's really done it properly. So, and uh, you know, and my son is fantastic, a fantastic player, quick as anything. He loves Electric Bastion Land, and now he's got you know quite a lot of games under his belt. Um, and even ran a game 
uh, of his own homebrew system a little while ago, and I'm really hoping to uh, talk to him about that. Um, I hope it hasn't disappeared too much into the distant past. Um, so he's pretty experienced, actually. But in comparison to the Grognard Files crew, you know, that's two completely different prospects, it would seem. So that aspect I was a little bit interested in. How will, if you like, the same scenario play out for these different um different differently experienced groups shall we say and the simple answer of that is it basically made no difference whatsoever absolutely none both teams made great decisions got stuck into the action uh played their parts with oomph mucked about all of that so it in a way it that makes no difference and i think it comes back to the fundamental thing of are you playing with people who um who have have the right rapport and i think i think what i just without getting stuck into that kind of bigger bigger debate i think it's it's about people having the same kind of um understanding sensibility and expectation of how a game is going to go and i think i've talked about that before somewhere and maybe other people have as well perhaps it was with um shay of uh uh Friday night D and D. Is that what he's called? Yes, something like that. Anyway, so he and I had a bit of back and forth. So go and check out his podcast too. About that, I think it's this. It's the people that you that you that you caught, uh, or that caught you to play, and and you get that feeling that the games are going to go well. Um, so that was that was one thing um the so the scenario design um uh, in in my original one, I was inspired to actually use something directly from the electric bastion land book uh, you know I was flicking through it one day and I thought. Well, you know, why don't I just actually just try something that Chris has put in the rule book? And the thing I thought was quite nice and exciting were the cosmic angels, these big, tough uh, cosmic angels. And you can find information about them on pages 314 and 315 so i went for i went for cosmic angel as the big you know end boss fight and what happened in the rewriting was that 
I basically took that actual thing from the rule book, the Cosmic Angel, and adapted it into something into something else. So I I I kind of I kind of yeah kept the kept the skeleton of it um but made it into something else the the one that had caught my eye the angel that had caught my eye was uh the final corpse because this angel wants to duel and has a huge blunted sword that does 1d10 damage and I I thought that was great. So I, I kept those elements. And this idea of a duel is, is really nice as well. So what happened in... Well, perhaps I should say, very briefly, the adventure in Bastion was about uh, an archaeological uh, expedition into the remains of a toy shop the toy shop being uh, the first place in Bastion to put oddities on general public sale. So rather than these oddities being these very select things that are hidden here and there and everywhere, legendary, almost magical objects, I thought it'd be quite fun to have these... uh, this this history of a toy shop that that somehow managed to get into mass market is what I should say mass market oddities so their effects aren't quite so great and they're probably a little bit cheap or perhaps exploitative you know in the sense of wanting you to buy more or something like that but then at the heart of that you also had this this toy shop owner who I called Humley who uh, who as a toy designer and an oddity toy designer would have his own kind of agendas uh, going on and this character Humley had somehow disappeared in the past and this, the site of the shop had been lost. So I basically kept that for the new game. But uh, I've made Humley take on the per, the persona, if you like, of that final corpse cosmic angel. Um who is who in the history now had disappeared and closed his shop because he had lost if you like a bet with a competitor so this duel that this kind of half dead this half dead toy designer uh is still wanting is with that old competitor and 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 he is convinced that whoever he's fighting 
is that old competitor. Um, and the huge blunted swords that do d10 damage. I thought in a duel, you've kind of you, you, you know, if you're if you're honourable, then it's a kind of equal fight. So I basically made it the case that there were two two huge blunt swords, one of which belonged to Humley, the other of which one of the characters would would pick up. And because it was so huge, I uh I wanted the uh the the players to have to pass a dexterity check to not fall over after an attack. The thing to say there as well though is that as a kind of enchanted blade, it was stuck in it was stuck in the player's hand. So they were locked that player in particular was locked into this duel um until uh, they're able to either get the sword out of their hand or uh, the 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 encounter has gone one way or the other. Um, so, uh, just to come back to some of those thoughts about the design of it. It's not the first time that I've that I've run the same adventure. Uh, you know, of my adventures of my own devising um, several times. Um, and so I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's a really important process to, to go through where you have that, that first iteration where you can then reflect on how to improve it and then that second time assuming everything's gone how you want it more or less you know that it's been satisfying I mean to say that it's been an enjoyable workable game where all of the parts fit together somehow um, that after that when you when you had that second game you're then able to then imagine how you might refine it still further but i think i've realized that that having that you know running a game twice in this kind of way um, then puts you in a position to think well okay i think that scenario is 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 neat it works i don't think it needs to be play tested massively more but I guess to still keep that feeling of well it would be still good fun if I did that you're not you're not completely uh, bored with it and I suppose I should just say there as some listeners might be aware I basically am in a situation where I do minimal prep so I you know I get some sense of the scope of the thing before going in but that's then when we're when I'm as a GM with 
using or not using very much prep or having very little prep, that kind of in-between period between running and rerunning a scenario is is so extra important, if you like. So in a sense, I had I had done more prep for the second time I've run the game in a way because I ran it the first time. That kind of takes on the guise of uh, of of prep, if you like. Every time you've run it before, that's prep for the next time that you that you run something. But even then, of course, you're still figuring out all of these other little things minimally beforehand and totally on the fly. I suppose to say with this scenario, because of these key changes in the concept, even if in it's totally clearly, uh, if you like, the same scenario, um, you 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 really couldn't compare how both teams uh got through the adventure because because some of the character you know the, the the npc relationships were different aspects of the setting were different um so in that respect there was little comparison but certainly the second time built on the first the thing that i would like to finish by saying is that that those first players, my son and my friend, they are so important. They are, it's so important to have to have these players who are willing to uh, be the guinea pigs for a completely new adventure. Of course, the Grognard Files crew were also, uh, if you like, guinea pigs for the scenario because it's still it's still evolving and so on and so forth. But it was, but it was, from my side at least, that much more um, well hewn or well defined. Um, the edges were well defined, and more satisfying in that sense so so i'm super grateful to those first players of that scenario or of any scenario because because they're really doing your massive favor of of yeah letting you letting you try out certain things and certain things won't always fit together how you envisage them to um, and of course they're they're kind of doing the stress test so I think that's a really interesting relationship that really that really jumped out at me in this situation of 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 running this evolving scenario for the two different groups because I think fundamentally it's not about it's not completely about a kind of aleatory or totally improvised way of working in the sense that that session will never happen again. It was so unique, da 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 
all of that. Of course that's the case. Of course that is the case in terms of play. But in terms of the scenario and the setting, it's, it's not, okay, here's a group. We are here. We're going to do this, going to do that. And there's almost no record of it. Running this scenario more than once, running any scenario more than once, puts you in that situation where there's a thing, there's a scenario that in some sense exists, whether or not I, anyone, does anything with those scenarios uh, is, is another matter. But just in terms of that, of that design process, it's was really really interesting and illuminating and and just to say again i really really appreciate those players who jump in for that first game when when you really don't have it fully mapped out that's all for me today all the best until next time bye bye